Hello, photography lovers, and welcome to another episode of the Fashion Photography Podcast with me, your host, Virginia. Thank you all so much for your emails regarding the upcoming portfolio review. If you don't know what I'm talking about, there will be a portfolio review free for everyone who have joined our newsletter. The portfolio review will take place on the 12th of November. If you're not part of the list, it's never too late, don't worry. You can join us if you go to photographypodcast.net and on the left side of the screen, you'll see big green button saying, join our newsletter. How unexpected, right? Click on it, follow the steps, and you receive additional email about the portfolio review the following day. Of course, that's only relevant if you're joining before November 10th. However, if you join after this, you will still receive a lot of useful info and you'll be also notified when we get another portfolio review, so don't hesitate to do it. But let's get back to the podcast today. Today, we'll continue the topic we started in part one of our podcast with Len that you can find on photographypodcast.net. We'll talk about the legal issues she had to tackle to publish her book, how to create timeless pieces in a world of trends. What are the most common mistakes people do when they enter a new market and how to avoid them? Though our guest is a makeup artist, by the way, I believe the tips are very relevant to all types of creators, but you'll be able to judge in just a minute because the podcast is starting. You mentioned your book, mm -hmm. and I really want to talk about it. And I'm also very interested about the legal issues with the book. So my first book, which was published in 2015, was called Art and Makeup. This was more of a coffee table book, all about the history of where I see makeup, my inspirations. So there's relevance to Rembrandt, Picasso, the opera, a lot of inspiration from sculptures, film. And it's more of a journey. And the whole idea was just to be able to showcase the work in a different light, to show people that makeup is an art form, is beautiful. And it wasn't all about text heavy. It literally was to be able to engage with anybody from any background, man or woman, into that area of makeup. That now has sold out this print run and it's in every library in the world, which is great for me. My next one, which is currently has just been published and released is a hands-on follow-up book compared to my original one, my first one. So this one's all about the design aspects called Pro Makeup Design. And it's about being very hands-on editorially, but also just thinking outside the box, playing with what you've got around you and just really focusing on becoming the artist and designing and getting practical because there's face charts, which I've included, which hasn't been done before. And the, these face charts were especially illustrated to have a skin tone color, so you don't have to think about it. It's on a particular paper, so you can draw and use makeup. The whole idea is that you play, take ideas, and you just put it onto paper, because I really feel as a tool for anybody who's interested in makeup, if they're working and drawing on a blank canvas on a piece of paper, then they're already creating that skill of what they're going to do before they actually work on the face. So that's my whole concept. And alongside with that book, I designed a palette collaboration with all the colors that I believe create loads of different things. So it's the very first face palette that has lips, eyes, face, 
primary colours, bright colours, different textures. Ideally, this whole thing is about getting people back to design and being practical. This sounds awesome. So guys, if you need the links to it, you can find it in the show notes on photographypodcast.net. Tell us about the idea. How did it come to you? And uh, maybe a little bit about the process with the Lugu issues, because I believe you have a lot of images in the books. What I obviously knew working with photography is obviously there's usage rights for photographers. So when I created the book, I'd already agreed with the photographers that they could keep their usage. We did an agreement that I covered everything. I covered all the expenses. I paid for the model. I had to negotiate fees for the models as usage fees and paid for everything, all the expenses. Mm -hmm. And in return, you know, this was going to be a tool for the photographers to be able to use. Same concept as an editorial, you know, because in books, the production costs are so high that you'll never, ever make a profit. So with a book, it's more of a portfolio. It's a tool. Unless you're creating a novel with no outgoing, that's the only way you're going to make any sort of money back. But on a picture book, and that's why it's very hard to do unless you own the rights to your images, which I would never take away from the photographers unless I had the money to buy everybody out. There was no way I could afford that. So we already had discussed this before. So we all did it on the pretense that, you know, they're going to get amazing images. They keep their right. If anything comes from it, then they can use it for whatever they like. And it's all to do with the book. So any advertising or any press, it's all to do with the book and everybody gets their credit. It wasn't a financial gain for anyone. It was more of a collaboration. This is what I learned afterwards. In getting a publishing deal, it's almost impossible unless you have an agent. I was very lucky to be offered six different publishing deals. I think you're very lucky overall. <laughs> I've spent a lot of hours every night, every day, you know, always dreaming, always thinking of ways of how to do this. People don't see what I've done behind it before I've actually come and produced it. So I already spent two years um, researching to find if there's anything out there that was like my idea, anything that was possibly competition to my idea, anything that could add to it. Was there a need for it? I did my research. I asked around. I talked to people. Like if I created this, would people be interested? I did all my research first and to make sure that it was a no-brainer. And that was the only time then I started to go, okay, I've already checked, done all my tick list. I know it's going to work. So now I have to get the investment. Now I'm going to have to do it. And now I'm going to have to produce it. And now I need to get a publishing deal. In publishing, you've got to have a hypnosis. You've got to have the pros and cons, the whys. Why is it different? It's not a self thing. This is definitely not about me. This is actually about the industry. Who's going to buy into it? And that's what I've heard over time with photographers or any of clients. When they look at my books and things, I've always heard the same thing. Oh, you've really catered for that audience. You know, it's not about you. When people are publishing, it can be about themselves. I don't need to publish about myself. For me, it was more about, okay, I need to create a tool that's needed because there's nothing else out there. So that was my drive to create something um, that wasn't out there. And then getting the publishing deal the industry's changed. Paper, it's expensive. You have to make sure that you've got all your contracts, all your usage, everything signed off before they'll even look at you. And you have to guarantee that there's going to be no legal aspects or anything that's going to come back on them. I took the risk and I spent 
a whole week shooting test images for it on the pretense that it was going to be published, even though I didn't have the deal at the time. I created all the images before so I could take that to the meeting to show them like this is what it could look like and this is what it could be and this is my market. And a lot of publishers will want to see everything before they actually give you that contract. So I took that risk and I spent every penny at that time, worked really hard to produce the images, do the production. But the fact that I knew exactly what I wanted to do, it saved a lot of time. So all that research, you know, that two years of research, I was already sketching, doing images of things. And by the time I was creating the work, I had to make sure that it was timeless, that it wasn't going to be out of date, that it was going to be relevant, especially for years to come. Because once you publish something, you can't take it back. It's part of history. That was going to be my next question. How do you make sure that it's relevant even four, five, ten, fifteen years after the publication? When we talk about makeup and there is so much trend into makeup. My book is not about trend. My book is more about a tool and I keep it quite simple that even though a section could be about using tape or something. It's quite generic. It's not telling everyone, oh, to use this type of tape. It's about using various, whatever you can find around you. Mm -hmm. So I've kept it very open. It's more of a, an ideas, inspiration. So I've kept the images very much in that sort of element of, oh, all you're seeing is tape. You know, you're not seeing any clothing or anything that could date you. It's about balance. And I've kept it very focused to what I'm talking about. So I think when you're creating something and it's all about that particular thing, It's not going to date because it's very useful because it's just about that sharing that knowledge of one thing. If this last book wasn't yours and you were just a random makeup artist, what would be your favorite part of the book? I find a lot of people are engaged in the more creative side of the book. So I guess what people are probably interested in is how to do all the understanding where to place all the crystal or the flowers or the textures to create really eye-catching image because everyone could do natural makeup. It's all about your model. But I think what people are loving about this book from an outside of you is the face chart because the idea is that when you create and you start drawing on this face chart because the face chart looks beautiful, it's not just a line drawing. It's actually an illustrated face. So as soon as you start adorning this face with maybe a red lipstick or just some lashes, you start implementing a few little things, It looks beautiful. So it becomes your work of art. So this is where I think people will enjoy creating because when they create it, they'll go, oh, actually, it looks really nice. And hopefully that will cause a positive spin. In one of our previous podcasts with Joel Grimes, he told us about changing along your photography because he's been working for more than 10 years. And he says that approximately every 10 years, you're supposed to change a little bit your style. Mm. Do you think that there is such thing in makeup? That's quite interesting, actually, because after creating my book, I'm starting all over again. I feel that in 10 years, actually, in all different areas of the industry, there's always like a refresh. There's new blood coming in. There's new makeup. Last season, it was all about nude makeup, the mm -hmm. beige, the browns, the 90s comeback. And now it's like the 80s comeback. So I feel like, yeah, in the decades, it does seem to work like that because I'm coming up to, I guess, that sort of area now. And I feel like I've done everything that I've trained myself to do. I've reached those goals and I'm reinventing now again for my next project. 
because I spent the last 10 years fighting to do what I, I've just done. So now it's like all my backup things and ideas are like I'm really looking into all my past notes and things that I wanted to achieve because I spent so long trying to achieve this. And now I feel like I'm on a refresh. Yeah. You're looking at your notes. I love that. So you're saving up ideas, right? Constantly. I'll always have notebooks and diaries. People laugh at me when I turn up at work because I'll always have a diary beside me or a note. So I've got like years of notes. And it's just a way for me to measure what I've achieved. It's not about just writing notes for anything. It's like I can always look back and go, oh, at that period of time, I thought that was a good idea. Now I think about it, it's rubbish. <laughs> Take it off. <laughs> it's not going to happen. So when something, I feel like as an artist, for anybody as a photographer even, if something's niggling you all the time, you should get it out of your system and do it. Otherwise, you'll regret it. But also, if it's keep niggling at you, it means it's a good idea that you should do it. If your gut is telling you, then you've got to do it. Absolutely. Even if it turns out bad, <laughs> yeah. at least you will be settled. Try it. Mm -hmm. Because you said that you're working a lot with assistants. Mm. I want to ask you if you've ever assisted someone, but I'm going to do it in just a bit. Right now, I'd like to ask you, since you have this eye on the people coming to the industry, maybe you've seen some common mistakes between makeup artists and they might be about their makeup, but they might be also about their way of communicating with the photographers or the models, maybe. Different things. There's a presentation aspect, like people are just sending their Instagram or the website link and you look at their link and it's like pictures of them behind the scenes. You know, when they're quite fresh, they've probably got their school pictures doing someone's wedding makeup or face paint and it's not a professional makeup shot. I often say to them, look, I understand that you're really attached and really proud of yourself of what you created there. But if you're trying to reach a photographer who shoots campaigns, advertising, but you're showing him pictures of you behind the scenes or a wedding makeup, there's no way he's going to look twice at you. No way. Because it's like any client, you've got to be able to present yourself as what they would find useful for you. In that way, I'm always, because I do a lot of master classes and help where I can, I find the presentation skills, you can't be taught that. You have to be told. And I think it's really important. Sometimes when I look at portfolios, I'm quite blunt about it, but it's because I want them to do really well. So if they want to be in commercial market, I'm like, well, don't send them pictures that has got a load of crazy stuff on the face. I'm like, why did you create that image? It doesn't make sense when you're trying to work with a photographer when he does advertising. You know, it makes no sense. Mm -hmm. I always find, yeah, the common mistake is probably the presentation and how they package themselves because everyone's doing the same thing. It's a lot of noise and they're not standing out. For me, that's probably one of the biggest things. Maybe people can fix that if they're looking at artists that have already achieved what they're looking for. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, if you've got the skills to create beautiful looks, but then it needs to be in that sort of context, it needs to be shot in that. Would you see that in a magazine? The people you aspire to, is it similar? Does it stand in line beside these people? It's good to, to measure yourself up. It's not about copying somebody, but it's about looking at where you need to be. Yeah, I'm always aiming I'm inspired by so many people and I'm always like, could I stand in line with these people? Does my work stand in line of, say, this photographer that I want to work with? If he looks at my work, does he see me as an equal? 
So you've always got to keep pushing above. Would you mind sharing with us some of the people that are bringing you inspiration? I'm a big Miles Aldridge fan, Tim Walker, Irvin Penn, and designers, you know, like Alexander McQueen. I just love people in the opposite of the industry. I can tell, <laughs> judging by your work. <laughs> and Dior, I guess that's always stuck in my brain. Just their visions are amazing. Chanel, I just love all those aspects. I try not to look at many makeup artists, to be honest. I, I can appreciate mm -hmm. everyone's work, but it's one of these things where I try to cut myself off at looking at too many makeup artists because I don't want it to infiltrate my style and where I want to be. So I admire so many. There's so many great, 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 great makeup artists out there. But sometimes I find if you're looking at people that you're similar to, it can sometimes cross over into your work. So I, I rather try and just find it within myself to be inspired and force myself to learn something new rather than look at something and dissect their work and then take anything from theirs. Would you mind sharing with us an idea that was really crazy? And when you shared it with the team, they were just stunned. <laughs> so it's probably one of my first collaborations, very, very first collaboration. It's still a timeless image now. It's where I did a collection for a jewelry designer. And at the time, you know, I met him while I was at his house doing a shoot with a hairdresser. It was completely random. And we were just doing a hair shoot. I saw all these crazy creations, like, wow. So what if I could create a story with all these things? So I asked to borrow five pieces and then everyone was just like, what are you doing? And I was like, I don't know. I don't know. I just really like his headpieces and his jewelry and just want to create something. So I pulled my photographer in and, and a model and I said, right, I'm just going to create inspired by these headpieces. Let's just see where it goes. And by the time I finished, we all just sat there and just went, wow. They're just so beautiful to look at. We give ourselves a pat on the back. <laughs> really want to see these images. Can we find them on your Instagram account? I have them on my art Instagram. That one's called Lands Art London. Perfect. It's also linked in the show notes. And have you ever had a project where you are the creative director and there is another makeup artist creating the look for you? I used a lot of my assistants to do it. With the book, you know, I had so many looks to create and so many ideas to do. So pulled in all my team. So they all managed each look. I still directed them and told them what to use, but they all physically did it. What would be your advice to the people that want to be part of the fashion shows? Oh, fashion shows are really hard to get into. <laughs> the way I fell into it was I had a relationship with a designer and the designer asked me to design the looks. And then I had a school sponsor or the makeup artist. But what I learned from that side was I didn't know anyone's skills. I didn't know who they were. They're all these strangers on my team that I had to manage and direct. Now I learned a valuable lesson because when I created something and everyone was supposed to copy, you know, there's a few makeup artists who did their own thing. When I asked them, why have you not used what I've used? One of them said, oh, because I think this is a better way of doing it. Yes. And there was another person that was like, yep, yeah, I get you. I said, okay, well, can you change it? Because we need to have it like this. Yep, yep, yep. But they didn't change it. And it was just consistently. And I was like, oh, this is a revelation. I think I'm going to have to hunt for my own team. I won't do this again mm -hmm. because it was so much stress. And what people don't realize, they see the glamour side of shows, 
and think it's very easy to just walk in and just do the makeup. But it's a lot more than that. As a designer, you rely on your team to be the best. They have to second guess what you're going to do. They have to be ahead of you because you're doing press talks, you're doing interviews, but you're also overseeing any problems that are going to happen. So if somebody's not technically doing what you need to do, you have to be able to step in to quickly rectify it and fix it. But if you've got a team of 20 people and you're doing that for everyone, you'll get nowhere. The show's not going to go on because the makeup's not finished. So if anyone's trying to get in, they have to really try and get experience with that, the makeup artist or know somebody from the team or their portfolio needs to be in harmony with that makeup artist. They need to find out who that makeup artist that they want to work with and find out what they're into and what, how they work and be able to provide that service. Because it's it's a team thing. It's not about individuals. So if you think you're really good at what you do and you've got this attitude that you're really amazing, you can really give everything, but you really need to look at yourself and think, are you a team player? Can you handle somebody telling you what to do? And I think sometimes it's a shock for makeup artists that come in. It could be, yeah. Would you say that doing editorial work and doing work for a fashion show is roughly the same? Uh, definitely not. <laughs> Editorial is very easy in comparison of the show work. But the skills are both different in what's really important. For an editorial, you know, you you have to be extremely knowledgeable about lighting, about the photographer's style, about what you're producing at the end. You really have to have a mindset of an art director and be able to visualize the end result before you've even started. And there's a lot of things to think about. You've got time, usually editorial, you have at least an hour or two hours to think about it and you have time to sort of practice it. And, you know, if things are not right, you've got time to change. And also you've got the sort of the backup, but you shouldn't really rely on photo retouching. But there's always that element. But in show work, you've got nowhere to hide. There's loads of cameras around you. Everybody's watching. You've got the time scale, but also, you know, sometimes you've only got like five to 10 minutes to create the whole look. So you have to work extremely fast, extremely clean, and you have to really be calm because if you're really um, anxious or really nervous, it sort of spreads it on the team. Completely two different skills. What is the photo shoot you will never forget? Maybe because of the person that you did the makeup on, maybe because of the idea of the photo shoot. I give the same energy for everything. So it's quite tricky to choose. Because you have some very high profile names in your portfolio. I guess someone like Evelyn Gora. I had my own sort of mindset of what she was going to look like. And obviously when I met her, you know, it was like, oh, wow, she's a powerhouse and she's really beautiful. When working with celebrities, all these skills on editorial shows, fashion, makeovers, you know, everything that I've done working in those areas of the industry has really played in my favor, I think, working with celebrities because under pressure with a celebrity, there's an element of a makeover, there's an element of no retouching, it's being flawless, it's being really quick at your job and also, you know, really understanding their needs and there's a certain etiquette. With her, she was just amazing to work with. You know, she knew her angles and the photos were great. And she was very complimentary as well. And it was just really nice because obviously watching her on Desperate Housewives, 
Mm-hmm. My husband's a big fan of hers. And it was just one of these things like, wow, okay. If my husband's going to cheat on anybody, he said a bit Eva, you know. And, <laughs> and I've met her and I've done her makeup and it was like really nice, really pleasant. So if he wants to cheat on with her, it's fine. <laughs> You're not mad. <laughs> I'm not mad at all. If I was a makeup artist and I had a big photo shoot with a celebrity that I've never met before, but I'm a big fan of, what would you suggest me to do in order to ease myself a little? Preparation is the key. I would say make sure that you've got everything in your kit. You talk through what you could do. You research all the looks and when they look their best. And just looking for key things. I think when you dissect a face, it takes away that impression of them being a celebrity. When I work with celebrities, I never treat them as a celebrity. I obviously, I'm very careful and very quiet. I work as fast as I can. It's really important to not make them feel that you're putting them on a pedestal or anything because it makes it feel uncomfortable. They're just normal. You've got to really, really focus on the face and what can you do to make sure that they look amazing. And that's usually the best way when I'm thinking of when I get a big name. I was thinking, okay, let me look in the past what they look like, what's their signature look, what they might like or they won't like. Try to work out how they like having their makeup done. So it's all these elements of preparation. Obviously, you'll probably get a bit shell-shocked at first when you see them because <laughs> you're like, oh, my God, I'm touching their face. But that soon goes when you start working because it's real time. You know, you're under real pressure. So you end up forgetting who they are. And if they're a nice celebrity as well, they tend to make you feel very comfortable. Preparation is the key. I love that. And I also love that we're a little bit more prepared for tomorrow after this podcast with you. We're prepared if we're makeup artists and also if we're photographers, because I think I got a better understanding of your work. So thank you so much for this conversation today. You're welcome. It's a pleasure. That was part two of the podcast. So guys, I'm so happy to say that I'll be able to see you on Tuesday. If you're really shy to participate in the portfolio review, do not worry because it's going to be live and you can join us even to just watch and see what type of advice everyone will receive so that you can learn from it. If you want to know how to join us, all you have to do is to go to our Facebook group called Fashion Photography Lovers. Thank you guys so much for listening to us today and I'll see you on Tuesday.